Welcome to Technovation, I'm Peter High. My guest today is Michael Taylor, the Chief Technology Officer of Worldwide Technology, which is a service provider that offers technology and supply chain services to companies around the globe, to the tune of $14 billion in revenue annually. As CTO, Mike runs the traditional CIO function, global engineering and services, and has a team of 2,400 people reporting to him. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Yes, Peter. Even before COVID hit, most savvy private equity businesses were looking for recession-proof companies as their targets or businesses that are thriving in the fourth industrial revolution, meaning those that are blurring the lines between physical, digital, and biological spheres. We at Zoho are positioned to help CIOs blur the physical and digital divide. Be it serving your customers, we provide marketing, sales, and support solutions. Or running your operations, we provide HR and finance tools. Or empowering your people, we provide powerful business intelligence, collaboration, and communication tools. Or for building differentiation, we provide business process optimization, low-code and no-code platforms to deliver apps faster. Learn more on how Zoho enables CIOs to thrive in the fourth industrial revolution at Zoho.com. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Mike, great to see you today. Yeah, good to see you as well. Looking forward to the conversation. Likewise. Well, I appreciate you taking time for it. Mike, let's begin with Worldwide Technology. Uh, for those people who might be less familiar with it, give us a, just sort of a thumbnail sketch of the business, please. Sure. We are a global technology solutions provider. Uh, we're privately held. Our, our two founders are still uh, both involved in, in the, the business with uh, our CEO, Jim Cavanaugh, running, uh, running the organization. Uh, we have uh, over 7,500 employees globally. Uh, our primary centers of operation are in the United States, EMEA, Asia Pacific offices. And we, we really sit, Peter, I'd say in, in the mix related to discrete technology transformations customers are going through. Digital transformation is a big part of our business and what we're doing. Uh, this uh, approach to multi-cloud technologies and architectures is a big area, and then security overall, as I'm sure you and, and many of your listeners are aware, just omnipresent in, in almost anything we're doing. Uh, and, and our position in the market really is, we're bringing a perspective that spans the established on-premise technology providers with the public cloud providers, and even a mix of, of new and emerging startups out of the private equity ecosystems uh, in the Bay Area and beyond to help our customers stitch together architectures, solutions, and fundamentally outcomes that are going to impact their business. Uh, and, and it's been an exciting ride, you know, for me, certainly at Worldwide and then uh, in the technology ecosystem overall, there's, there's no shortage of fun, change, and innovation to keep up with. Mike, you've been with the company for more than two decades and roughly two-thirds of the, the, the time the company's been in existence. I can only imagine the growth that you've seen as well as the evolution of your offering, uh, as I'm sure that that has uh, dovetailed with the dramatic change in te the technology landscape across the past couple of decades. I wonder if you could take a moment and reflect upon 
all that growth and all of that change? Believe it or not, uh, yep, yeah, started as an intern. And uh, at the time, I think the company was a couple hundred people. Um, you know, I, I, what I really found interesting about what we were doing was one, just, you know, this was kind of back in the dot-com era and, you know, all of the craziness that you saw in the markets and uh, along with technology startups, but probably more than anything, that to me was really uh, seemed to be the advent of the impact technology could have on business uh, and consumerization and, you know, the, the connectedness between the, these large organizations and, and the preferences, uh, uh, you know, of a particular person as an example. And so really following that trend uh, and, and evolving worldwide from at the time, uh, the, the predominant portions of our business were around uh, selling, reselling technology products into the telecommunications uh, and federal uh, federal spaces to beginning at those stages, imagining what services and capabilities we might be able to wrap around, as well as I'd say Peter in general, which you know th this could be a whole a whole podcast in and of itself, but the use cases and the transferability of use cases across industry from a technology perspective was something we felt a responsibility to start bringing forward to the market to our customers. Uh, and it, it's, it's been, you know, an exciting ride uh, from, from, you know, the late, late nineties, uh, you know, through, through the dot-com bubble and financial crisis is, uh, you know, 2007 to, you know, COVID even in uh, this year uh, managing through that, but um, you know, really excited to have found this company and, and, uh, you know, we'll talk more about it as we get into it. But I think, you know, in particular, in the times of uncertainty, the the value of of a strong culture inside of an organization, one that not just permits innovation, but encourages it, I think are are some of the elements that have kept me energized over the years and excited about uh, what the next 10 plus can offer. Very interesting. Well, I mentioned at the outset, of course, you were the chief technology officer, and that's a role that means so many different things in so many different organizations. Yours is quite a strategic role. You've got uh, the CIO that reports into, into you, and so some of the traditional IT functions that others would be familiar with. You have a global engineering team. You run the services business. I believe you have roughly 2,400 people reporting to you, if I recall uh, prior conversations we've had. So it's enormous scale uh, in terms of your organization. Talk a bit about, uh, if you could add a little more color to the purview of what I've just described, I'd appreciate it. Sure. And, and I would say one, one advantage, uh, you know, I certainly feel blessed to have had is, is to be working in technology for a technology company. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take uh, much for me to explain to our CEO, to our board and our executive team, the importance that technology can play in helping transform and grow a company. Um, you know, so I've, I've certainly had that advantage. I think the the vision around the role that I play with the company is, if you think about the technology systems that we use to run and operate our company, again, a global operation, 14 billion in revenue, um, that in and of itself, you gain, you know, unique perspectives on what's working. And as much, you know, I, I'll, I'll keep talking about, you know, the technology side, but so much of this is is cliched, but an even balance of people, process and technology. And more so, you know, the people and process side of this is is where I'm spending more of my time along with, you know, our teams and even, even how worldwide interfaces with our customers. But the ability to see how technology is consumed and operationalized in, in, in the role of the CIO and, and that function, all the way through some of the innovation and uh, activities that we're trying out in our advanced technology center, where we're taking 
established on-premise technology with emerging startups, including you know public cloud platforms, application development, data science. You know we think of that as as the playground, if you will, but not for the purposes of trying things out and then kind of moving on to what's next, but really taking those learnings uh, in those in our advanced technology center, the lab capabilities that we we've, we've constructed there, and and determining how applicable are these things to the general markets that we serve? And that could be within a Fortune 50 company. It could be, you know, across industries, banking, healthcare, energy, manufacturing, um, trying to give, and in the phrase I always use with, with, uh, with our teams, Peter, is, you know, how do we get from, from the art of the possible to the art of the probable and, and reduce the number of permutations that we might encounter, you know, as technology is changing in and around us. And, that's what our advanced technology center labs help us do all the way then through bringing those things to life for a customer. And, you know, the model we've started, you know, using internally at worldwide and even a bit externally uh, in the market is, you know, we're out to help make a new world happen and, and, and escalate our viewpoint from just technology outcomes to impacts that we can drive, you know, in uh, an organization's relationship with their customer to, uh, you know, you, you, you talk to a lot of, you talk to more people than I do probably, Peter. And I'd say one thing that, that everyone, you know, in their role is looking to do, motivated folks are looking to move to higher orders of work. They want to eliminate mundane, repeatable tasks. And you see that through, you know, digital assistance you could go and, and, and use to try to, you know, better organize your calendar or things like that, all the way to, you know, predictive maintenance on, heavy equipment, you know, that, that we might be working on with a customer, but the introduction of digital, uh, uh, digital technologies mindsets, along with uh, data science is just a pattern that we see being repeated over and over again out in the market. And it's, it's an evolving space. You've got to experiment there a little bit, do some trial and error with uh, the established and the startup communities to figure out solutions that are going to, going to work for our customers. So I get to see it end to end, you know, from the good, bad, and the ugly of what we operate to the innovation those teams drive uh, to, you know, how we're helping our customers achieve some of those same outcomes. And a lot of your customers are your peers, the technology leaders in their own companies as yeah. well, Mike. And so I talk a bit about, uh, you know, you're not, you're not a salesperson per se, but you're a, you're a very interesting advocate in as much as you're doing a lot of the things that they're doing in their companies while also being uh, a representative of a company that they might engage with. Talk, talk a bit about that, that level of partnership, if you would. Yeah, and it's a great, a, a great question, a great point. And I, I think one thing you would hear me say, you know, to, to the teams, to our customers is, you know, no one wants to be sold to, you know, I mean, they really don't. Um, I, I think the, the approach that we're taking and that I take, even, you know, some of the events, Peter, I'll see you uh, attending is, you know, I'm, I'm in a room with individuals that are both our customers and our peers, you know, and, and so my, my take there is I, I'm not there to, you know, to sell anything. I'm there to learn, uh, learn from what other, other individuals and, and teams are doing. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think people want to be, want to be sold. I think they want to be advised and they want to learn about what other people are doing. And, and if I bring something to light there or my teams or worldwide in general, that is new, different, or at a minimum, just informing a strategy that they may already have in motion. Um, I think that's how you build relationships. And I think that's how you build credibility uh, with people. Um, so yeah, you, you wouldn't, 
I think if you, if you knew me or, or the folks listening, if they knew me very well, they'd certainly say I wouldn't be the most savvy of salespersons uh, out there interacting with a customer. But I do try to bring credibility uh, and, and back that up, you know, with some experience that we've had in our labs with other customers or even, as I mentioned before, some of the internal systems and things that we use to run worldwide uh, as a company. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Talk a bit about the strategy you and the team are, are operating against now. You alluded to some of the areas in which you're, you're involved in and some of the topics that are of greatest interest to, to your peers and customers and other organizations. But I would love, love to have you add a little more detail to some of the areas that are of, of, uh, at the top of your priority list now. Sure. I, I'll start, you know, two, two themes that I think about as it relates to, um, you know, investments that we're making time that we're spending thinking about, you know, things and, and, and solution development. The first is, you know, we, we want to be and connect technology to business or IT outcomes. I mean, fundamentally, you know, we want to help our customers, our partners better advocate, advocate for the use of technology in delivering some material benefit to the company. And that could be as interesting as, you know, new digital channels using, you know, web, mobile, that sort of sort of thing to um, providing more a more reliable or integrated service to the employees that provide a service to their customers, you know, streamlining uh, a sales process, um, integrating systems to reduce manual work amongst disparate organizations within a company, all of those things, you know, connecting technology to those business outcomes is is critically important for us. And challenge our teams every day. How are you thinking about what you're doing and the impact and outcome that that, that can have on the business? I think of, uh, uh, you know, Daniel Pink's book, right? You know, it's, it's, it's mission purpose. People want to know why they're doing something and the really good people want to know what sort of impact that I have. And I think it's critically important we connect those dots. The other element that, that we're more and more involved in is this idea of digital and physical and, and connecting these digital and physical worlds. And, you know, some of the, the, the challenges in the market that create opportunities for a company like Worldwide are, you know, um, I'll, I'll use hyperlocation, right? We work with customers around how do you, how do you provide hyperlocation inside of a grocery store or uh, inside of a retail space? Um, you know, now adapting those concepts to figure out, you know, what sort of distance and safety tracking could we provide as it relates to a pandemic and, and exposure and contact tracing. But, you know, you really have to take time to instrument a, a system that's going to give you uh, that level of detail in terms of an individual's proximity. But then you have to take all that data and you have to digitize that to, you know, to a map, a set of outputs or intelligence that drive behaviors, you know, within a customer. So, Connecting those digital and physical worlds together uh, in, in data being an underlay of, of all of that is, is a huge area of investment for us. So connection to those outcomes, digital, physical, and the, the, those two worlds really colliding uh, are big areas of, of focus for us. And then the last thing I'll say is just we view our responsibility to, to connect the creation of the strategy to achieve those outcomes I talked about connecting the strategy to the delivery, because we, we feel like there's just a need in the market between what I'll call the, you know, the, 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 the 50 page white paper 
and the outcome that, that, that shows up on a balance sheet uh, for a company. And, and we're disintermediating, I think, that market a bit to say, you know, how do we connect those two things together and, you know, hold ourselves along with the customers and partners that we're working with accountable to those outcomes, you know, through the through this creation of the strategy and, and the delivery, uh, you know, of those results. Yeah, very interesting. I appreciate you sharing each of those. I know another area that you and the broader team have been thinking about is uh, uh, DNI, um, diversity and inclusion. And I, I, w- I wonder if you can kind of reflect, especially in a in a year, uh, the, the past year in which it has come into focus uh, for for a variety of unfortunate reasons, but perhaps with some silver linings for some of the changes that organizations are undertaking as a result of it. Talk a bit about some of your perspectives and the way in which uh, worldwide technology is is uh, thinking about it, making advances from a DNI perspective. You bet. And um, yeah, so I I would start with, uh, you know, I talked about uh, our our founders uh, Dave Stewart and Jim Cavanaugh. Uh, we uh, Dave is an African American man, uh, helped start the company uh, back. We're thirty one years now, almost in a month or two, we'll be at thirty one years of the company. So. Being a, a privately held and minority-owned business, I think we've had diversity inclusion is something we had been thinking about, whether that's the employees that we're hiring, the individuals that we're developing inside the company, as importantly, the partnerships that we establish with, with other uh, minority-owned businesses uh, has, has been something that, that we've been focused on from the beginning you know, and, and based on, on, uh, on how we were founded, frankly. The, the, the unique part of this, and I'd say an area, Peter, being a bit vulnerable in the discussion here would be an area I've learned a great deal about over the last 12 to 14 months is getting to know and understand the perspectives of the employees that we have inside of Worldwide and the experiences that they have had you know, prior to coming to Worldwide um, and the experiences that they, they have while they're at the company to inform what we ought to be thinking about and doing as an executive leadership team. And, you know, following, you know, the, I'd say the, you know, the unrest, you know, in particular in, in late May and early June, we started having listening tours uh, and we started this off with every executive uh, within the company had set up time with at the time black employees in their organization to just reach out and touch base on how are they feeling? What are they hearing? What do they think we should be doing to support not just them as employees, but the communities that they lived and worked in? Um, and I can tell you that I mean, those were not easy conversations. Um, you know, one, I give our employees a lot of credit for the fortitude that they had, you know, one to just come in and share those ideas and, and speak freely. Uh, I think we learned a lot as a company in terms of things that, that we could be doing, um, you know, to, to take what I think are really good focus programs and make them even better. And a couple of our key observations there were, one, we're still doing listening tours today. So we, we haven't stopped that open communication. And while it seems like a no-brainer, um, you know, we every month we have four or five of these that the executives are hosting to keep in touch with our employees on both the diversity and inclusion topics, as well as, you know, I'll say COVID and work from home, you know, uh, uh, stress that, that, that the teams might be under. But for us, it's, it's, it was about getting more focused with all the organizations that we were supporting and operationalizing how we could better recruit, 
into our company diverse talent. Uh, and I mentioned, I think earlier, you know, we're headquartered in St. Louis. Uh, that said, more than half of our employees are somewhere else in the world, uh, you know, there. So, and, and I think the advent of remote work has allowed us more freedom, frankly, to pursue talent, diverse talent in particular, in other areas and geographies, rather than, you know, our centers in New York or St. Louis or, or, or Phoenix, uh, Northern California. Uh, that's opened up an aperture to us. But um, I would say that the, the first step that we took that's having a meaningful impact on, on our people, our diversity, and, you know, the, the communities that we live and work in is, is partnering with programs that help develop skill sets and technology focused on that outreach into diverse communities and then bringing, bringing those individuals on to, uh, to WWT. Excellent. Um, I also wanted to ask you about, you know, you, in referencing the, the, the past year and, and the, the many learnings from it, I wonder what reflections you have and what changes you see afoot uh, with regard to the future of work and how work is being done. You mentioned half your staff are in St. Louis where you're headquartered, the other half are around the, around the world and other places. Uh, do you foresee a different way of working in the future than, let's say, January of uh, 2020 before the, the quarantine, uh, the pandemic and the quarantine began in earnest uh, here in the U.S.? I do. I think, um, you know, uh, it, again, cliched, I think, you know, new normal or, you know, I'll hear people ask, you know, when are things going back to normal? I, I don't think they're going back to normal. I think that, um, you know, our findings, we've surveyed our, everyone, you know, we've surveyed our employees. I mentioned the town halls that we're doing to get feedback. Um, you know, what, what I hear and, and our thought process as an executive team is to err on the side of flexibility and empower our people with choice, right? And what I've heard, you know, and, and this is where I think, you know, from, from the DNI perspective, from a, a perspective of, of COVID and work from home and future of work, so many of these things are individualized, you know, down to a, a person's particular, you know, circumstance could be, you know, both them, their family, other obligations that they have, um, you know, their risk profile, you know, what, how do they, how do they think about risk and, and, um, uh, and then I think also just their personality, introverted, extroverted, you know, all those things that come into play here, our position back to our employees is we want to offer choice, flexibility and choice first. And what we see predominantly in that survey data is most people, I think it was 80% plus, and I, I don't remember the exact stat, but I know it was above 80, 80% plus of, of our employees will be working from home or remotely more frequently. We, we believe that to be true. Um, the second element that I would say is we still, though, have a, a, a group of, of, uh, of our employees who want to come into an office. Um, and those reasons vary, right? Could be, uh, you know, their, their, their home situation. We have, you know, uh, early in career employees that, that live in and around metropolitan cities. They're room, you know, they're, they're sharing rent or they're rooming with somebody and it's not effective for three or four of them to be, you know, in, in a, you know, in a, in a New York city apartment all day working uh, together. And so uh, we want to, again, offer that flexibility uh, to our employees and say, everybody's circumstance is going to be a little bit different. Here are some parameters we could set out around, you know, dedicated space versus shared. Uh, but overall, 
um, you know, overall, I think it's going to be a predominantly more remote workforce in the future for us. Makes sense. I appreciate you sharing those perspectives. You mentioned earlier that uh, the first several times it seems like we met were at gatherings of CIOs and CTOs, as well as uh, uh, venture capital uh, events centered around you know, insights around the portfolio companies that were that the, the, the VCs were invested in, these sorts of things. You're clearly somebody who's very immersed in the broader technology ecosystem. Um, talk a bit about how you think about curating your own ecosystem to make sure that you are regularly updated and, and cognizant of the evolution the technology, um, the technology is, is taking and its implications to you and to your company. Sure. Yeah. And I think, again, I, I feel very fortunate to, you know, be in tech for a tech company. Uh, we get to work with some of the, you know, the, the coolest, most innovative companies in the world. And, you know, you've, you've seen some of that firsthand uh, at, at some of the, uh, the showcases that we we've attended and bumped into each other with. Um, you know, I, I think of this in, in its most basic form. I try to manage a third of my time with my team, a third of my time with our customers, and a third of our time, my time with with our partners. And you know, those partners are, uh, you know, you think about anything from the largest, most established, you know, technology providers to the public cloud providers to you know some of the the startup communities that are out there. Uh, disrupting. It's a, as you can attest, it's a small, smaller world than you think in technology in terms of, you know, groups and teams that move from some of the bigger companies to the startups and this startup to that startup. Um, but I think the balance of those three perspectives, what our teams are doing to innovate in our labs, what our customers are doing to, you know, innovate, drive value in their business. And then that partner ecosystem, it just affords at least three different lenses to kind of how organizations are thinking about uh, disruption, thinking about digitizing their businesses, connecting technology with those balance sheet outcomes, you know, that I was referring to earlier, um, as well as challenge, I think, you know, my traditional thinking as a, as a technologist on, you know, what, what is possible and where are some of the, where are some of these things going? Um, I think, you know, we, we would all say AI is here. Here to stay? Um, is it is it completely artificial versus augmenting humans? I mean, I think some of that's still to be determined. But absolutely, the uh, the methods that we can apply to these large sources of data uh, and the outcomes and suggestions, if anything else, that we can provide to clinicians, financial advisors, uh, uh, you know, individuals that are working call centers or service desks, we just see over and over that you know it's providing speed efficiency. And as I mentioned earlier, as important, you know, it's it's elevating uh, the the level of work and the type of work that people are doing, and they get more inspired about that. They feel they feel better about you know providing and being connected to those outcomes versus you know things that we can automate, uh, you know, in the spirit of efficiency and and leading people to higher orders of work. So it's uh, a fascinating time, and I'm sure it's only going to get more fascinating as as we continue to run. No doubt. So uh, very interesting. I love the way you frame that third, third, third between the team, the customers, and with partners. Obviously, you've got a great uh, network that you are tapping frequently to understand trends on the rise and, and their application potentially to worldwide technology. 
Uh, you've mentioned uh, several of them as you've talked about your priorities, but I wanted to hear uh, towards the close of our conversation uh, to ask you about, you know, as you look to the future, say a few years out, what other trends excite you? Yeah, um, I think the the relationship, you know, the the B two B relationship for our customers evolving to everybody wants the the B two C relationship. You know, um, everybody, you know, our our distribution partners, our <clears throat> our clinical systems, our hospital systems, everyone's looking at how do they take the technology that they have and maybe methods that you would normally attribute to. Um, you know, a customer loyalty program or, uh, you know, personalization around, you know, even apps you'd use to order your lunch, as an example, more and more, uh, whether it's healthcare, manufacturing, uh, energy, all of uh, financial services, certainly, everyone is looking to figure out how they get closer to their customers. They want to own more of that relationship. And, you know, I think that that's a trend that we're going to see continue. Uh, into the future, just digitizing that interaction and offering customers more choice as it relates to how they interact with uh, with uh, with the companies that they do business with. I think that trend is going to continue to move forward, and I think in a lot of ways, COVID's accelerated that. Certainly, um, you know, in terms of remote anything uh, that that we see going on, whether it's DoorDash or as sophisticated as telemedicine, those things are are happening at, at greater rates and speeds and. Uh, you see a lot of companies worldwide included participating in, in how that's going to play out. Uh, the second I, I'd really point to is, is this uh, idea of application, you know, I'll say application architecture, but runtime instances for applications and, and, and this move to edge computing, um, getting workloads, getting uh, computation closer to the consumer. And, and we debate this internally at times fiercely, Peter, on, so, so you know, in one sense, you'd think 5G and the connectivity speeds that 5G provides would uh, potentially reduce the use cases for edge, but we are not seeing that at all. We're, we're seeing the, the edge strategy, whether it's an on-premise, whether it's, you know, leaning into the public cloud providers and what they offer in terms of solutions that, you know, sit externally to their data centers, edge and imagining what we can do together at the edge uh, for the purposes of, you know, business, technology, patient sort of outcomes, I think is something that is, is uh, going to continue to charge, uh, charge forward. And, and the last one, I'll, you know, I could probably, I go through 20 of these, but these are the ones I really think about every day, uh, the data side of this and the, the maturity of uh, you know, whether it's artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence that we're applying to uh, to human beings, I think is going to be a, just a powerful trend for the next 10 years. And it could be as simple as how do we make your, you know, your call center experience with your internet service provider the next time you call them, how do we make that a lot more comfortable and, and, and beneficial to you, to, uh, you know, machines, algorithms, and data you know, that are, that are augmenting uh, 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 medical devices, uh, uh, doctors, nurses, and, and, and procedures that they're providing, you know, for their patients in hospitals, and, and then just everything in between. Uh, but, but I don't talk to a customer really ever without some discussion around how do I better leverage the data that I have to improve the efficiency of my organization 
and, and better define or refine the strategies that we're, we're using to grow our company or our business. What a great trends to highlight, certainly, Mike. Well, Mike Taylor, thank you so much for joining me on Technovation today. A great conversation about uh, your company, its remarkable growth, your growth responsibilities at the same time across your couple decades with the company, the areas that you're focused on, the collaborations that you've forged, and the insights you've drawn from, from those collaborations. Uh, it's been a great conversation. It has, yeah. And always good to see you. Thank you so much, Mike.